DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in David Locke. His weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David James. Good morning, Patrick Kinahan. How is greatness this morning? About the same as every other morning. (laughs) Well, PK's never this. Oh, yeah, he is very regular. I've heard this too many times. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. You know, when you host a morning show for like 72 years, have you ever thought about how many hours your loyal listeners have spent with you and how like how much they know about you? And ha- I mean, I know, David, you try to make sure they know nothing about you, but even <laughs> under your greatest attempts, they actually know stuff yep, about you they do. because of the amount of hours. Like, it's like I... It's like I think about my podcast. Like I do a 30-minute podcast. If somebody listens four times a week, they're spending two hours with me. Like they're spending like eight hours with you. How many people – let's go with like two hours. How many people do you spend two hours with in a week? My old lady? Yeah, family, immediate family. (laughs) I'm not sure my wife actually wants two hours a week with me. I think that might be a lot for her particularly considering the fact I used to travel like 90 days a year and I've been home for 13 months straight, but that's a side note. Um, uh, I think that so the, uh, I'm that joking up. actually. Um, <laughs> what was that DJ? So funny. You bring that up. I've had people like, well, you do radio in the morning, you do TV at night. I mean, how much are you home? And you know, how do you maintain a relationship? Like my wife doesn't complain when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have said this and I mean, this is a compliment to my wife and it's actually like the message that like sometimes I'll share with like people if they're asking me, but like, I think my wife is the person who needs me the least of any person I've ever met in my whole life. <laughs> like, it's probably why we're fine. Like, she, like, Hey, if you're around, it's great. I love having you around, but like, I don't need you. Like I'm totally good on my own. I'm pretty like self-sufficient. I got two master's degrees. Like I'm way smarter than you. You can like, you know, and I don't have to be the Disneyland sweeper when you're not home. So um, it's all good. She refers to herself as the Disneyland sweeper since I'm such a mess maker. Wow, that's interesting that you bring up her academic credentials because I think all three of us, our spouses, have higher academic credentials than we have. Yeah. By the way, yep. you know those people that listen to us all the time? They're not surprised to hear this. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> You said that like it's a revelation. Anyone who's heard the three of us is not surprised that people have better academic accolades than we do. David, I want you to look into the future now. When we Actually, talk to you, I want to talk about. I'm derailing the show. Uh, I found something again? this morning in my research, and I want to share it with you. <laughs> All right. Can I do that? Sure. Why not? <laughs> So we've talked all year about Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert Uh and how they figured each other out offensively. Yeah. But actually the real story of the season is they figured each other out defensively. Like the defense is seven points per hundred possessions better this year when Gobert and Conley are on the floor together than it was last year. So maybe that's just Mike being healthy. But that's pretty interesting to me because they're playing, well, two things. Mike went from playing 67% of his minutes with Rudy to 93% of his minutes with Rudy this year. So that's a pretty big change. And Mike was actually, we were totally all wrong last year in our analysis. Mike was really bad when he was on the floor with someone other than Rudy, and he was really good when he was on the floor with Rudy. His numbers offensively are almost exactly the same as what they were last year with Rudy. And last year when he was off with Rudy, he shot like 36% and 22% from three. But... 
the real story is that these guys figured something out defensively or the team did. And I don't, it's strange to me because our starting five is the same, right? Boyan didn't just become like some long, lengthy, great defensive three and Royce is still the same. So it's, it's, I'm curious. I'll ask Quinn tonight in the coaches show actually about this. I, like I'm wondering what happened that they figured what they figured out defensively. Cause that is actually the story of the season as much as anything and why they've gone from being the 11th ranked defensive team to the number two defensive ranked team. The defense with the, our, our story that we're telling is we added Derek favors. And so our defense has gone from 11 to two. That's actually not true. The defense with Derek Favors on the floor is virtually the exact same as what it was last year with Rudy off the floor. So that what has actually happened is the defense with Rudy has gotten way better than it was a year ago, and it's really with Mike Conley and Rudy. Okay, I just had to share. I'm sorry. To derail your show, take over again. Well, I feel like I need to follow up on that right now. Is it any more complex, or maybe it is, but at least 90% of the deal is, if Rudy's on the floor and you're one of the other four defenders – You've got to you've got to be up on your guy and give them no room to shoot a jumper. And if you get beat off the dribble, so what? They're going into Rudy, but don't foul him and put him at the free throw line, and don't give them give them an uncontested jumper. And if if you live by those two rules, given who Rudy is and how he plays defensively, aren't you going to be a pretty good, if not great, NBA team? Well, this is why we allow the fewest threes of anyone in the league because of that principle. And then we think we're about ninth or tenth in the league at shots at the rim. And teams shoot, are you ready for this note? 14 percentage points lower at the rim when Rudy is there as a defender than Mm -hmm. average. 14%. So, yes, there's something. Rudy is so great. Like, I think we know, but I'm not even sure we totally know. Like, we know way more than the rest of the country because we watch him every night. But I'm not, and I'm like, you know, have my mansion on top of Go Bear Island and the rest of the population is now emigrating in and I'm going to have to build a wall or something. But, like, it is, even for myself, who's like the biggest Rudy supporter in the world, i actually not sure that I fully get his impact on the game. Like, to some extent, in just the simplest form, like our narrative last year was Mike Conley struggling, and this year it's he's not. Well, he's playing with Rudy for 96-3% of his minutes now. Who who was the guy that wasn't struggling last year that is struggling this year? Boyan. Boyan played 93% of his minutes with Rudy last year and 67% this year. Like the Jets flipped the rotation and let Conley play all of his minutes with Rudy, and Boyan's not playing all of his minutes with Rudy anymore. Like it, I don't know if it's that simple, but I'm beginning to wonder if – not only is he just the greatest defensive player in the world, but he just makes everyone's offensive life so much better with what he does. And, you know, screen assist is this cute stat, but there's absolutely nothing different than a screen assist than an actual assist, if you think about it. And so we've always talked about point guards, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, Chris Paul, and how much better they make everyone. Devin Booker's actually the exact same as he was a year ago, side note. They, we've all talked about that. But the fact of the matter is Rudy's doing the exact same thing as a point guard by freeing people, getting people open, presence, gravity. It's just incredible. 
Wow, that's awesome, man. This franchise is going to have the leader in career assists and the leader in career screen assists. That, and it is worth a banner, <laughs> damn it. That's where I was going. <laughs> you bet. I so, need someone to screen. I need somebody who's good at Photoshop to send me at DLock09 on Twitter a screen, sh- uh, a Photoshop with the new banner, Rudy Gobert, all-time screen assist leader, yeah. right next to John Stockton and Mark Eaton. <laughs> well, I guess maybe get back in ten years and and uh, maybe we'll we'll see that up there. And it's all uh, it's all fascinating stuff, no question. Uh, one of the things that has gotten me mystified is how, at thirty-three years of age. Is Joe Ingles not only elevated elevated his game, but he's elevated like almost like a certainly borderline all star level. How do I explain that? So I think one is you got to give Joe great credit. I think I listened to him with you, and he talked to either this interview or the last one. Don't tell Joe, but I actually like make sure I hear that show every time. Um, but I think he talked about Renee and her nutrition and stuff and how he's kind of followed in that step. So I do think he just deserves great credit for this body's way better than it was before. And he's worked really hard at that. Um, Quinn deserves great credit last year during the bubble. I found a stat and I need to actually go update it. That Joe was the number one shooter in the NBA in like the first six seconds of the shot clock. I think it was, um, might have been first eight seconds, but Joe was the best in the NBA over the last three years in the first six seconds of the shot clock. My biggest frustration with Joe last year, particularly in the playoffs and in the bubble, was he was so obsessed with going back to get the ball because he wanted his hand to play pick and roll because he really wants to be a point guard. And you even heard him joking about that whole Mike Conley thing this week when he was on with you about how they joke about how they both can't play well if everyone's healthy, mm-hmm. right? Like that's because they both want their ball in the hands. But the problem for is with Joe doing that is he takes away his greatest strength. And his greatest strength is getting up the floor and getting that early transition three. And that's where he's actually the best player in the entire league. Like he's the best over the last three years it shoot it when he shoots in the first six to eight seconds in the shot clock. There's nobody better. And so you're seeing Quinn has opened up this door to the whole team and set. And basically Joe's taking advantage. Quinn had a fascinating comment on the zoom yet uh, the other day about how Jordan Clarkson's kind of unabashed gunnerisms or whatever you want to call it of like, just has, freed everyone else on the team. Like, well, if Jordan get away with it, then I can get away with it. But it's led to this freedom of how they're playing. And Joe in particular is who Quinn talked about as seeing like, well, if Jordan can do that, I'm going to do it. But that's exactly what they wanted out of Joe this whole time is that they wanted Joe to get up floor, get that early pass, or when he leads the break to do it faster, not waiting for Rudy for his pick and roll or phase for his pick and roll but to get up the floor and take that three. And Joe is just tremendous early in the shot clock with his three-point shooting, and that's what's changed his game this year. It's a historic season. It's so much more valuable and important that anyone is taking an understanding of. This is the like last thing for this league to figure out, is that like Kyle Korver five years ago when Atlanta won 60 and no one knew why, 
was the only player to ever have a better shooting year than Joe. Quite frankly, we're on the pace to win 60, like, equivalently, and no one's quite sure why. Like, well, the reason is because of Joe Ingles. And Joe, I can make a really strong argument that Joe Ingles is the most positively impactful offensive player with his possessions. I mean, actually, that's just true. I don't even have to make the argument of anyone on our on our roster, so um, including Donovan, including anyone else. So when you suddenly start kind of trying to figure out what this means, it means everything. It's incredible. Then you add in that he's just such an elite-level pick-and-roll player, and that's a little bit of the trick with him is that, you know, hey, you're a great pick-and-roll player, but you're actually even better at this other aspect of the game, so please get down the floor so we can get you the ball. So it was viewed as gimmickry, but was Paul Westhead right 30 years ago when he had Loyola Marymount running up and down the court, gunning, trying to score 150 points? Was he really onto it? Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is I actually watched that 30 for 30 yesterday, um, like, over again. Like, I got Roku, and, like, it just comes up really easily on my Roku, and I was like, oh, I'll watch that again. So I watched that whole 30 for 30 on Paul Westhead. I, I guess, I mean, Quinn has talked about it all season long that there is – that, you know, everyone talks about good to great, and he's like, you know what, we did the analysis, and really, really good is actually, pro- at times, is better than what we were going to get otherwise. So if you got really, really good early, go go grab it. And if you look at the Jazz from 18 to 24 on the shot clock, so first six seconds, we take seven threes a game. We shoot 41% on those threes. It's the most of anyone in the NBA. And the only team that actually shoots them better than us in that span is Sacramento. Oh, I take it back is New York, but they don't take them. They take two a game. So that doesn't count. Um, is Sacramento at 41.5 and they don't take quite as many. If you take it to the first nine seconds of the shot clock, I believe we're slightly behind Milwaukee, but we still make about 39 to four, about 39.5% and we're taking. 16 threes a game in the first nine seconds of the shot clock, and that's when Joe's at his best. If everything holds, and this may be a little bit premature, but stay with me here, if that's the way it plays out, as as we expect at this point where we are right now, the stuff that you just mentioned, is that the formula to beat the Lakers in the second round? Yeah, it's the only way to beat the Lakers because their half-court defense is so great. By the way, I just pulled this up. This is incredible. You ready? This is great. I didn't actually know how to find this. I just found it. Joe Ingles has taken 60 threes. Let me make sure this is right. In the first six seconds of the shot clock this year. 60. How many things he's made? 60. 30. 33. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he's His age. How about that? Three of 60 when he takes a three in the first six seconds of the shot clock. I mean, the key is that this team's got to keep running. They've got to keep pushing ahead. This is when they struggle offensively. And then when they play the Clippers and they play the Lakers, who are so long, you know, that that's they've got to be able to play this way. Listen to these numbers. I mean, I, this is where Paul Westhead is exactly right. First six seconds of the shot clock, Royce 41, Conley 41%. Donovan, 38%. Bogdanovich, 39%. Clarkson, 40%. And Joe Ingles, 55%. But 40% is 1.2 points per shot. That's the best. That's better than any. Like, that's the best offense in the NBA. So, 
if you can get that shot, you got to take it. And even if you take the next three seconds where we've taken a ton, all the guys are good except for Donovan. Joe has taken 62 additional threes from 15 to 18 on the shot clock. He's shooting 42% from 15 to 18. So now we're in early offense, probably, right, got down the floor first six seconds, made an extra pass or two, but we pushed it ahead enough so we're playing with advantage. Clarkson's 38, Conley's 40, Bogdanovich is 38, Joe's 42, George is 40, Royce is 43. Only Donovan, who's probably walking into a three and not playing in the same manner there, is 33%. Like, that's a bad shot because our offense is, is good and Donovan can get a better shot throughout the – he's so talented he can get a shot better than that. I, yeah, we these early, first nine seconds of the shot clock threes are 100% how – the Jazz have to win in the NBA playoffs, and a hundred percent how um, that Paul Westhead had something going on there. Now, the lack of defense on the other side by Paul Westhead might not have been exactly right because <laughs> we get those shots off our defense. So, when you give me all those all those stats about scoring early in the shot clock, I assume that most of those shots, and as I close my eyes and try to visualize Jazz games, that most of those shots are uncontested. And that's really what's driving those numbers up, is that when you run, you're getting uncontested shots, and Donovan's numbers could be lower because he's shooting his off the dribble. And when you're flying up court and you have to stop and get on balance to shoot a three, that's great if you're Steph Curry. It's really hard if you're anybody else on planet Earth. Um, I think Quinn is willing to have those be somewhat contested. I think that's the change that Quinn made for this for this team this year. Is that those shots take them if you're kind of open. I think there was a feeling you had to take you could only take them if you were totally open beforehand. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think his feeling is that, that's Jordan Clarkson. Right, I might be and open, he, and other guys will hold on to it. And Jordan Clarkson, I might be open. It's going up. And Quinn says, we need more Jordan Clarksons. Right. And that, that Jordan Clarkson has opened up to the rest of the guys to feel a little bit more willing to, to do that. How concerned are you with the Lakers having Drummond? How much of a difference do you think he can make? The more Drummond, the better. Explain. Uh, I think he's – so he's a really interesting player. I don't want to just totally criticize him. It would be really fun for talk radio to do that, but probably having some responsibility as a, you know, play-by-play announcer in the league. But, um, you know, he's really interesting because he's got quick hands. He's got pretty deft, light feet. Um, he's got a decent little second jump. He's a – he's thought of as a good rebounder. I'm not totally convinced that he's a big out-of-area rebounder. But he's not quick in transition, so to what our point is right here, like if we're changing ends of the floor quickly, I would far rather have him on the floor. Marcus Soule's not either. That's like one. Of, that's the Lakers' weakness, I think, is that they're the number one team in the league in transition defense, to their credit. Frank Vogel is just a great defensive coach. Frank Vogel is not being talked about for coach of the year, but what he's done defensively without AD and LeBron, I think, should be put him in that consideration. Um, he is a really, really bad offensive player. In fact, he's one of the most detrimental offensive players in the league. No touch. Um, his 3-for-12 game against Rudy is not uncommon. 
So any possession that he uses that is not being used by LeBron, AD, for that matter, Contavious Caldwell Pope, I'm all good with. And I don't think he's a great pick-and-roll defender either. I could look up the numbers on that. But my instinct is he's not a great pick-and-roll defender, and so whereas AD is, and so if you can get them, I mean, they're a great pick-and-roll defensive team. Again, their defense is just awesome. Um, But I I feel like you could take advantage of him in the pick-and-roll defense. With the Lakers this year, he's only in the 62nd percentile in pick-and-roll defense, which, you know, is not terrible, but it's that's a really good defensive team. I think if we went to Cleveland earlier this year and looked at his pick-and-roll defense, maybe that's irrelevant. It's in the 29th percentile. He's a bad pick-and-roll defender. And now I'm going to ask you, before we go, I'm going to ask you the question I had planned to start the interview with before you derailed things. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd enjoy that. But I, I put on a really good show today, so that's all right. Oh, you always do. Your money. Okay. So, one week from today, the Jazz play the Suns. Thanks to the Suns' loss in Boston, third game in four days, second night of the back-to-back, uh, they're now two games behind the Jazz. How far are they going to be behind the Jazz next Friday when we visit with you? So I have said the entire time, maybe a little overly dramatic, if the race is not over, by the time the Jazz play the Suns, it's a problem for the Jazz. And so the race is over if it's four, three or four. Um, But if it's still two and the Jazz lose that game against a one, the Suns have a better schedule the rest of the way after that, and they have the tiebreaker, and it's fair to think that they would get it to one. So the Jazz need it to be, preferably, I thought it could be at four. I thought it was going to be at four, and um, they really need it. It would be nice if it's at four, go Knicks, go Nets, but I think that's unlikely, so you like, you've better hope it's at three. If it's at two like it is right now, I'm not sure who I think gets the one seat. He's David Locke. He's here Every Friday. David, thank you very much. And you're there every day, and they know everything about you, so worry about it, DJ. Okay, I will. See ya.